0: Hello, wonderful people! Welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. Uh, we just keep on rolling. This is episode number sixty-seven, and uh, we're up to part number eight of our series, uh, setting the Bible free. Setting the Bible free, and uh, this is a good episode. Uh, I'm excited about this one. I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, since I started planning the series back in the summer. I got to sit down with Austin Hartke, who wrote a book called Transforming the Bible in the Lives of Transgender Christians. Austin is a transgender Christian. Uh, he very graciously came onto the show uh, to talk to me about his book and about how what it looks like to read the Bible through the eyes of a transgender person, and uh, we cover a fair amount of ground uh, in this conversation in just uh, just about forty minutes or so, and uh, I got to be honest with you, uh, this is this is new territory for me. Um, I told him off the air after we were finished recording uh, that this is just like there's times when like I I, I talk about this topic LGBTQ, but in particular uh, the T transgender. And I don't know what I'm talking about. like there's just so much so many terminolo- so much terminology, so many words, so many different angles, so many different things to understand. and it's just all new ground for me. And so I found this conversation very helpful, uh, very validating, but very challenging for me as well uh, to really think about uh, what does it look like to read the Bible as a transgender person. And what does it look like for me as someone who's trying to be more of an ally for LGBTQ people uh, to use the Bible, the the very same Bible that I used to use, um, admittingly, to uh, almost weaponize against LGBTQ people? How do I use this beautiful book now to do the opposite of that? And uh, so we had a really good conversation around it. I'm excited for you to listen. Uh, real quick, before we jump in, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash project is a place where you can go to support uh, the show. So if this thing has encouraged you, inspired you, challenged you, ruffled your feathers, made you a little bit mad, those are all good things. Uh, you can go there to support the show financially. So anywhere from $3 a month, which is like a, a cup of coffee at Starbucks, maybe. You might be able to get something in Starbucks for 3 bucks. Uh, but all the way up to $30. You can also make your own uh, tier as well, whatever you want to give per month. And every tier has its own reward. So whether it's a blog post every week, uh, a bonus podcast episode every other month, a book I mail you in the mail, uh, everybody gets something uh, there as a quote reward. So go check it out, patreon.com slash what if project. And lastly, the thing I'm really excited about is our is our community, our Facebook community that we have. Uh, it is growing. We're up to like 125 people, I think. Uh, but it's a closed Facebook group uh, for people who are all over the place in their journey and their walk with God. You've got people who have been Christians for, I don't know, like a thousand years, like their whole life. You've got people who are new Christians, people who Consider themselves agnostic. People are like, I don't know what the heck I believe, but this Jesus guy is fairly intriguing. Let's talk about him. Everybody is in this group and everybody's talking and sharing their questions, their doubts, their learned, their takeaways, uh, resources that they have come across that have been helpful. And everybody in there, the best part, everybody in there is encouraging everybody else and cheering them on in their journey. So we would love to see you uh, in there ASAP, ASAP. Uh, Get in there and join the the dialogue. I'll put the link to that and Patreon in the show notes. Also, a link to Austin's book will be in there as well. But all of that to say, I'm going to shut up. Let's roll the tape. Uh, This is my conversation with Austin Hartke, author of the book, Transforming. Enjoy. Mama. The times come I know. Your boy is almost grown. So I'm moving up and out this home. I said mama. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project Podcast. Uh, you have picked a great day to drop in because today we're sitting down to talk to my friend Austin Hartke about some of the themes from his latest book, uh, Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians. So Austin, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you along. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So, uh, Austin, I first heard about you on the Bible for Normal People podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, I immediately ran out and I got your book, because I'll just be will <laughs> be super honest with you right off the bat. Uh, this is a very new topic for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, as someone who went to Bible college, I went to seminary, I've got a couple degrees. Uh, as I was reading your book, I was really saddened by the fact that all of the stuff you talked about is very rarely ever touched on in my education. Like, like at all, mm. um, other than like, you know, LGBTQ, especially the T part is sinful. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I always struggled to believe that when I was taught that in school, but I was mm-hmm. afraid to talk to anybody because you know what that struggle, I didn't know who to go to. I didn't know who to talk to who would validate the struggle that I was having to almost reject the things I was learning about LGBTQ. But when mm-hmm. I read your book, book, and I heard you talk to Pete and Jared, you have like literally opened up an entire new universe for me. Uh, so I really thank you for the work that that you're doing.
1: Oh, well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I, I mean, I also feel the same way and kind of saddened about the fact that so much of the kind of scholarship that I included in the book is sort of it's not talked about very much, even in like, I didn't go to a um, uh, an especially affirming school but mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't especially negative on lgbtq plus folks either and we didn't talk about most of the stuff that that i included in the book there either so <laughs> right. so yeah I, I have the same feeling about like oh this is these are stories that people should know about but i'm so glad that uh, that the book was helpful for you
0: yeah thank you it was always like it was it was talked about in class but like it was always in a negative light and then if somebody mm-hmm. ever asked like well is there more stuff that you can read on this it was like well not something that's unbiased
1: you know, ah yes
0: and then that was like just pushed to the side like okay so I guess that's the answer you know and you move mm-hmm. on but in my in my heart I was, I was like there's got to be a better answer than that and I never mm-hmm. went out to really look for myself but when I saw your book and all the resources you include it's just it's fantastic so well oh, done. I'm so glad thank yeah. you yeah So before we jump in, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe some of the highlights of your story? uh, Who are you? What do you do? What makes Austin tick? All that kind of stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't even know if I know the answer to that last question. (laughs) It's developing. Uh, Exactly. Yes, as we all are. Um, Yeah, let me think. Let me give you the bullet points here. So I grew up um, in non-denom churches uh, most of the time. Uh, They were vineyard churches, but not always. Um, And so my background is sort of non-denom evangelical up until my teenage years. And as a teenager, my family moved over to, um, a, uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran church, which is sort of the more conservative arm of the Lutheran church. Hmm. Um, and then I sort of individually ended up going to an ELCA Lutheran church, which is sort of the more progressive arm of the Lutheran church. So my background, uh, uh, now is in the Lutheran church. And with all that that entails, I uh, went to a Lutheran seminary. I went to Luther seminary here in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, I got my master's degree in biblical studies, specifically in Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. Mm. So that's kind of uh, where my scholarship background lies. And I specifically um, kind of ended up in that program because uh, as a teenager, I came out as bisexual first. And uh, that was my (laughs) sort of, uh, I realized that all of the verses that people were sort of throwing at me that were sort of um, telling me that being bisexual was wrong. Mm-hmm. They were pretty much all Old Testament or Hebrew Bible passages. And so when I was in seminary, I really wanted to dig into those passages because I had this feeling kind of like you were saying, where it's like you're taught something and there's something in you that's like, this can't be the whole story, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so for me, it was, it was thinking like, this can't be the whole story. Um, and, uh, I wanted to figure out more about what was going on with these passages. And I was also um, influenced by uh, getting into conversation with um, more Jewish folks and realizing that, like, within Judaism, there are all of these different ways of interpreting these same passages that are completely different from the ways that we interpret them in Christian traditions. And so, realizing, like, it really was a moment of explosion of just like, holy cow, there are so many ways of. Of understanding these passages, um, mm-hmm. and that was really exciting for me. So that was kind of my my background in studying. Um, I came out as transgender right after I graduated from seminary. Um, mm-hmm. I was exploring and trying to figure that out um, while I was in seminary, and it came to the point where pretty much all of my close friends and family knew. But I didn't know if I would be allowed to to graduate and get my degree if I came out as trans at the seminary I was at. Mm. And so I decided to wait until after graduation, which I have mixed feelings about. I mean, part of me kind of wishes I would have just sort of said, let's do this anyway, and, and been able to blaze that trail for folks after me. Mm. But um, it was it was at a time in my life where I was experiencing so much stress because of coming out as trans and having a negative, like having people react negatively to that, yeah, that I just yeah. felt like I couldn't add more stress onto sure, it. <laughs> sure, <laughs>
0: One thing at so, a time, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. That was kind of how I felt. So I came out right after, uh, I got my degree and graduated. And since then, I've been working to um, make some of this this scholarship and some of these stories more accessible to people because I really feel like as a LGBTQ plus person, no matter sort of where you are in that community, you shouldn't have to have a master's degree in order to understand your relationship with God and the church. Like that shouldn't be a requirement. (laughs) Mm. So making this stuff as accessible as possible is kind of my whole gig.
0: That's awesome. Have you found that you've been able to help a lot of other transgender people to understand their faith better? Yeah.
1: I mean, I have got, it's, it was funny. I started out making YouTube videos. That's kind of how this started while I was in seminary. Mm. Um, and because I, I wanted to go where people were, you know, that's what they always say with ministry is like, go where the people are, you know, yeah, and, that's right. um, a lot of trans folks, um, especially not, not as many and not as many today, it feels like, but, especially when I started making videos like 2013, 2014, um, lots of trans folks were documenting their transitions on YouTube and so it kind of seemed like the obvious place to go. Um, And so I started making videos and there was just such a huge reaction from folks saying like, Hey, where are you getting this information? Like, I mean, I'm trying to cite my sources and videos and stuff, sure. but basically just like everybody being excited about this and being mm. like, where can I read more? Where can I find out more? Where can I talk about this? Mm. And so it really, um, at this point, um, I've got a, a, uh, sort of closed, uh, chat discussion group that I run. I've got, um, twice a month, we have a closed video chat group with a bunch mm. of trans Christians talking about their faith and their experiences. And then, um, I run sort of a more open Bible study online that anybody can come to and and it's really been amazing to see people respond and to want to talk about um, their experiences with their gender and their faith and and what that
0: journey has been like for them. That's awesome. Do you see yourself doing any more uh, like any more books down the road maybe that are more focused around um like a particular um part of the Bible that you're passionate about or?
1: yeah i mean i'm in as happens with uh most authors i think as soon as the first book is done uh, already you know your editors and everybody else are like cool what's the second one and you're like part two
0: part three and part four yeah exactly
1: yes um and so i've been tossing around a lot of ideas one of the projects that i'm working on right now is talking with um, rural and small town churches about okay. their experience becoming LGBT affirming because mm. we have this sort of larger cultural narrative, or I guess larger church narrative that when a church becomes affirming, they you know lose a bunch of members and lose a bunch of money and there's yeah. a, it causes all this division. And we've got that set in our head as like, this is what happens. Yeah. Um, and it turns out with a lot of the rural and small town churches I've talked to, um, when you become affirming in that particular context, you tend to grow because mm. the thing is, if you're the only affirming church for 50 miles around, then people know where to come when they want an affirming church and they don't have that many other options. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <sure>. right. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, it's not like being in an urban setting where you've got 12 churches in a six block radius, you know? Mm. So it's um, been really interesting to see that narrative kind of turned over. And so I'm, I'm thinking of possibly writing about that. Um, and that experience, and and what that's like for churches.
0: Okay, well, we will look forward forward to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, so this conversation that we're having is going to slide into a series that we're doing called "Setting the Bible Free," uh, mm-hmm. and we're looking at the Bible and some of the the passages of the Bible and trying to take them out of the boxes that we in the church sometimes slide them into. And mm-hmm. so, what I wanted to do today is kind of pick your brain around a few of the. Uh, Bible passages that you mentioned in your book um, in regards to transgender people mm-hmm. and what it looks like uh, to read the Bible as a transgender person and then i 'd like to ask you uh, to talk to us a little bit about uh, what a what a church that wants to make transgender people feel welcome can do Sound good mm, it sounds great perfect so let 's start with what the Bible says about uh, gender i I was always taught as most evangelical students of the Bible probably were, that the Bible says that God made men and women, male, female, two genders, both defined more or less by their genitals. Uh, your mm. book, though, has taught me that the Bible maybe isn't exactly as clear on the topic as I once, as I once thought. <laughs> and, uh, for, for our listeners, I just want to read a quote real quick. Uh, you say, what if the Bible does not actually portray humankind as neatly divided into cisgender men and cisgender women? Uh, What if gender roles are not so much divinely ordained as they are human made? Uh, So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, What do we do with, for instance, like the creation story uh, where we see God created man, woman, male, female? It seems like on the surface, if you're just reading the passage, it seems like that's a divine move, not so much a, a human move. So maybe take that apart for me a little bit. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's where a lot of people start, you know, good place to start is at the beginning and kind of looking at um, at God creating, exactly. Yeah. God creating men and women. And, um, I think we have, you know, there's a, that's a very foundational text in terms of talking about like complementarity, right. Mm. Um, for gender. Um, and so as I was sort of looking at this text and, and different ways of understanding it, uh, the thing that kept coming, Back up was the sort of form of the chapter as a whole, kind of trying to put mm. that that particular verse back in the context of the entire chapter, um, and realizing that within. The, cre- the first creation story in Genesis 1, God is consistently creating a thing and then separating it, usually into twos, and then saying, you know, it was good, and there's morning and evening, the first mm-hmm. day, and so on. You've got this very poetic structure. So, you know, God creates, uh, God says, let there be light, and God creates light, and then God separates the light from the darkness. So you get this binary two things, right? And then those things are good. Um, and then, you know, later on, God uh, creates the, separates the waters and creates It's the land. And so we've got this binary between land and sea, right? Um, And those things are good. Hmm. But um, just because those are the only two things sort of mentioned doesn't mean that the rest of the... The rest of the spectrum of possibilities don't exist. So, for mm-hmm. instance, God separates the light from the darkness and creates day and creates night, but that doesn't mean that dawn and dusk don't exist, right? These strange times of day where it's like the sun's not totally up yet, but we've got light, you know, these beautiful times of day. Um, same thing with land and sea. God creates and separates into land and sea, but that doesn't mean that marshes and estuaries and coral reefs and things like this don't exist, right? And the biblical, uh, you know, the people that put pen to paper on uh, Genesis one would not say that those things don't exist right Mm. just because they're not in Genesis one Genesis one is a beautiful poem and you can think of it if it helps you to think about it as like these are the ends of a spectrum rather than two specific and diametrically opposed boxes Mm. Um, that's kind of closer to what we see in the natural world right Um, and so when it comes to gender it's kind of it's not surprising that human beings are created and then separated into two male and female but um, we know that throughout human history there have been um, uh, for instance you know uh, people who are intersex, um, mm-hmm. so people who have differences in sex development, um, people who are born with uh, uh, external reproductive organs that are uh, what we would think of or, or modern medicine would call indeterminate right um, people who are born with differences in, in in their physical bodies when it comes to um, when it comes to their sex mm-hmm. and the We have some evidence that the ancient biblical writers ha- knew about intersex people as well um, one of the first places uh, or one of the most interesting places I think to look to is um, in the creation of the Talmud, which is the Jewish collection of oral wisdom that was created between the first and sixth centuries. So just after Jesus's time, they talk about um, four different kinds of intersex people. Uh, And so like the recognition that people in the ancient world knew about intersex folks and didn't see them as you know, these horrible misformed beings, they were seen as made in the image of God, just like everybody else. Hmm. And so recognizing that, you know, we might be able to see male and female as more of ends of a spectrum rather than two specific boxes.
0: Hmm. And so therefore everything is created beautifully by God, not just those two ends of the spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. This idea of like being created in the image of God doesn't
1: Mm. necessarily have to do with what our like specifically gendered bodies look like. It has so much more to do with, well, I mean, we've been debating for throughout Christian history what it means to be made in the image of God. But we can all agree, I think, that uh, as God does not have a physical body in Genesis 1, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say that it's about our specific reproductive organs.
0: Hmm. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember reading in your book too, that, um, like throughout history, there were people like you talked about Pharaohs and talked about some different other big figures throughout history who, um, would have identified perhaps as transgender or bisexual. Is that correct?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I
0: I think it, I wouldn't want to go so far as to
1: say they would have identified as trans um, because we don't want to be anachronistic and kind of take our modern understandings of gender and put that on to ancient folks. I think the best way that I can explain or or the best metaphor that I've come up with to sort of explain how we understand gender over time is that it's a little bit like um, in the ancient world, we're looking at everything with sort of the naked eye and we're just kind of saying here's what we see Hmm. Um, and as we go through time we develop things like microscopes and we develop things like telescopes and things that help us really zoom in and we can we see way more than we saw before. Hmm. So it's not like, you know, trans folks or the way we understand gender today is like a new thing that's never existed. Gender diverse people have existed throughout time and we do see it in, you know, in uh, many of the ancient civilizations of the Fertile Crescent um, and throughout the rest of the world as well. But because we have not had sort of the same (laughs) ways of looking at things (laughs) through, for instance, like the scientific method, (laughs) we are now seeing things that we never saw before. So yeah, there are, are, um, and it's especially, uh, you know, it's something that we need to um, be very, I think, mindful of that there are um, uh, different genders that exist in different societies all over the world that as soon as, white Western Christian folks show up, eventually mm. start getting erased, right? And so that's an important thing to notice, especially in Central and South America and in, um, in India and in East Asia as well, that we've got ex- like uh, examples of cultures that have third gender groups of people. They're not men, they're not women, they're something else. And as soon as white Western Christians get there, that becomes a problem. <laughs> it mm. was never a problem before. So that's something that we need to be aware of.
0: Hmm. That's so interesting. Um, In the book, you talk a lot about uh, eunuchs in the Bible. And -hmm. in particular, uh, the eunuch that Philip spoke to in the book of Acts. And um, as I mentioned before, we started recording, uh, we've got some listeners who are kind of like myself, like in this place where they're stepping out of that conservative understanding of the topic of transgender, LGBTQ, but Mm -hmm. they're wondering, like, how do I speak to my old tribe? about these newly acquired like affirmations of transgender people using like this very same bible that i used to use to condemn and chain people and so mm-hmm. i was wondering i thought the whole talk that you had in the book about uh, the eunuch and acts which is fascinating so can you maybe just talk to us a little bit about uh, that particular story what it looks like for you to find yourself in the story um, of the eunuch and just help us understand how to use this story maybe in our conversations with people from our from our old tribe
1: yeah, I think um, the <laughs> that is such a great example. I think the for those chapters of Acts, you know, um, uh, Acts eight, Acts nine, Acts ten. Uh, the not only the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip story, but also um, Cornelius uh, mm-hmm. and like the the inclusion of of Cornelius into the early church. Those are two stories that are incredibly similar and have a lot of ties and speak huh. to this specific thing. Um, the question of like, who does the church say should be in versus who should be out is the question that is being asked in those chapters, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so I think it really speaks to a lot of what Christians are experiencing today as well. So The story of the Ethiopian eunuch um, is a fascinating one for a lot of reasons, but you kind of have to get a little bit of background on what's going on here. So the important things to know, even before you get to this story, um, is number one, that in Deuteronomy 23.1, there's a verse that says that nobody who is castrated shall be allowed into the assembly of the Lord. Hmm. And um, we don't necessarily know what the assembly of the Lord means. It could mean not allowed to be um, part of the community of Israel it could mean it could mean um, not allowed to worship in the temple hmm. it could mean not allowed to marry um, a Jewish woman um, because they weren't uh, able to have their own biological children so there's a lot of different possibilities for what that verse could mean, but we have hmm. to know that that verse is there in order to understand the power of the story of the Ethiopian eunuch hmm. um, so we know that verse is there, and uh, in the story in acts eight we've get this um, person who is traveling. Um, from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. Uh, and because of that particular verse in Deuteronomy, uh, they probably would not have been able to worship in the temple. So they're traveling back from Jerusalem, probably kind of upset. Disappointed. <laughs> I yeah. would imagine. Annoyed. Yeah. Like yeah. they they've gone all the way there, and then they're not even allowed into the temple with everybody else, right? Hmm. Or at least not allowed into because the temple was set up in these sort of consent uh uh uh, these circles, right. Mm. Um, they would not have been allowed in sort of where, where they should have been perhaps. Mm. So, um, so they're traveling home and they meet Philip who has been told by the Holy Spirit to go out into this wilderness road um, to meet somebody. And uh, the interesting thing about the Ethiopian eunuch uh, is not just that they are a eunuch, um, but also that they have all of these other sort of middle space identities. they're, a servant um, but so they don't have their freedom but they are like a really high ranking servant of the Ethiopian mm. Queen right so they have a lot of they have enough power to be able to travel all the way to Jerusalem right and in a chariot too mm. so like this is somebody who's in kind of a middle socio-economic space they are also um, somebody who is um, uh, reading from the scroll of Isaiah as they travel and who knows about Jerusalem and wants to go to Jerusalem to pray, but we're not told that they are Jewish, right? Mm. So we they're in sort of this middle faith space where we're not totally sure what their religious sort of um, affiliation is. Um, and then they're also a eunuch. So a eunuch um, in the ancient world it exists in this sort of middle space in terms of gender because mm. they are not considered specifically male, not considered specifically female. Um, they are kind of a different thing altogether, which is why they're so interesting to gender diverse people today. Mm. Not because it's a one to one thing, <laughs> but like because they're, it's an example of gender diversity. Mm. Um, and because of that gender diversity, they would also be outside of the bounds in terms of sexuality. Because if you are not considered a man or a woman necessarily, then the rules around what relationships you're allowed to have are also a little bit wishy-washy right (laughs) so so this person is in like a lot of middle identities
0: Hmm.
1: um you've got a lot going against him yes exactly yeah um and so uh so as we get this story philip shows up and meets the ethiopian eunuch in the wilderness which is of course the middle space for israel right this is a very Hmm. metaphorical space for them to be meeting in um and they meet and uh the eunuch asks Philip about um, who Isaiah is talking about. So they're reading from the scroll of Isaiah and they're reading the story that we usually think of in the Christian tradition as the story of the suffering servant that we usually associate with Jesus right the story of this person um, and it's the verse that he's reading says justice has been denied him Um, there's this sense of this person is being treated terribly and they don't deserve it Hmm. and so we have the eunuch reading this passage and you can kind of imagine that they're sort of seeing themselves in this passage like Hmm. I was supposed to be allowed into community I get all the way there I'm excited about maybe converting to this religion and i get there and i'm not even allowed in right Mm -hmm. um so they might be seeing themselves in this passage um and and they talk about it and the eunuch says to philip who is this about and philip says you know we, we as christians believe this is about jesus and starts talking about jesus and the eunuch suddenly i mean it seems like you know we're really reading into the text here but it seems like the eunuch makes this connection about like in a way that I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians today kind of get the sense of, like, oh, Jesus gets it. Jesus gets mm-hmm. what it's like to be me. Yeah. Um, and, when that connection is made the eunuch says what is to prevent me from being baptized they come to a spring and and you know here's water what is to prevent me and i think within at least within many of the sermons i've ever heard on this passage that question of what is to prevent me is sort of treated as like a rhetorical question because Mm -hmm. we already know the end of the story we already know that the eunuch is baptized right so we sort of treat it as this sort of throwaway line but i think really the eunuch is asking which part of my identity is going to be a problem for you, Philip? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, which part of it is going to be the problem? Huh. And Philip could have said any of those pieces. He could have said, well, you're a eunuch, so Deuteronomy 23, one says no. You are uh, a person who does not have your freedom, and the early Christian church is still trying to figure out how we feel about that. Mm. (laughs) You are a person (laughs) who is like maybe in relationships with people that we're not sure how to deal with, right? Um, I got a list of problems with you. (laughs) Exactly. er, And, you know, and not to mention, you know, the other sort of part here is race, race and ethnicity, that Mm. this person is not, um, of the same race or ethnicity as Philip and this is, and he's not Jewish. So Mm. like, there's a question here about that as well. And so he's really asking like, what is going to be the problem? And the fact that Philip does not answer is so powerful that Philip just baptizes them, right? Philip just does it. Um, And so my friend, uh, uh, Nicole Garcia, who is a trans um, woman pastoring in Colorado, I talked to her about this passage for the book. And I said, you know, how do you, what do you think about this passage? And she said, you know, it's funny. People talk about this story as the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. But I think about this as the story of the conversion of Philip, Mm. because this is the moment where Philip has to decide, like, am I going to get in the way of the Holy Spirit? Am I going to follow the rules that I was taught about who's a Allowed in, or am I going to realize that God might be doing a new thing here? Hmm. Um, and so, really, it's maybe more of a conversion of Philip. And so, I think in that way, this story really um, ties into what a lot of Christians today are experiencing in terms of how to relate to LGBTQ plus folks.
0: That's awesome. I think it's I think it's beautiful too that you said how you know that that Philip would have been reading this. This story and would have been hearing what Philip had to say about it and maybe seeing himself um, in the experience of Christ and seeing himself mm-hmm. in the experience of Jesus. And I, I was having this conversation with somebody online um, a little while back after I had read your book and I had talked about this this uh, story of the eunuch. And I remember the person said to me, "Well, I feel like it's a stretch to say that you know a transgender person can find themselves in the story of the eunuch." And I was like, "Well, hold up a second. I said, "because." You and I, as people who are straight, you know, we put ourselves in the footsteps of the biblical people all the time, mm-hmm. and we try to find ourselves in the story of Jesus. So why is it any different for a transgender person to be able to do the same thing with a story mm-hmm. like this, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it totally does.
1: I think, yeah. you know, that's one of the things I know they talk about all the time on the bible for normal people is the the idea that like every single person is coming to the bible with a lens, right? Yes. There's no way of reading right. these texts objectively because we are all coming to it with our own stories and our own experiences and our own biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say that trans folks have a bias and straight cisgender folks don't is right. kind of like, well <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I
0: don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, right. We we have we have we have the handle in the Bible. We understand that.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think seeing yourself in the Bible and seeing yourself in scripture is something that's incredibly powerful. And when that's taken away from people, when it's, when you're told like, this is not for you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a wonder that um, I, I often think about the fact that it's a wonder that LGBTQ plus folks are, you know, trying are really knocking down the doors of churches saying, let us in because they've been treated so badly and not allowed to have, this connection to scripture and connections to god through the sacraments that so many other folks have yeah. um you know it's it's really it's a testament to faith i think to see the way that um that lgbtq plus folks are still wanting to be in
0: this community mm. uh so so this is this is all super helpful stuff and uh i'm wondering though what what do you think what can churches and pastors do to start kind of the conversation in their churches about Uh, creating a more welcoming environment for uh, transgender people, especially when maybe they're surrounded by people who aren't um, as far along as they are in being inclusive or forward thinking. And I ask that Mm -hmm. because uh, like I mentioned earlier, we we have a lot of pastors who listen to this. And I know that many of them are kind of sensing this urge inside to like kind of get the ball rolling on this really important topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they feel like maybe their churches, maybe their leadership, maybe their staff, maybe the you know, board of elders and deacons, maybe they're not quite necessarily there yet. So what mm-hmm. are your suggestions about like how to go about bringing this up, how to start the conversation, how to get the ball rolling, especially when you're met with some, some resistance?
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing that we've seen in terms of, um, this kind of, it comes into, I I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what the best language is to to use around this because mm. it comes into a lot of the sort of social science that's been done recently about how people change their minds about things. Mm. Um, And I don't want to make it sound like we're going in trying to like (laughs) to even to say to change people's minds feels a little too strong because that's not I don't think trying to take over. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's not what we're going for here. I think I think change of heart really kind Mm. of gets to it more than change of mind. But I think um, what we've seen from sort of this social science perspective is that um, we all kind of know we're in a situation right now where the facts don't matter. <laughs> it's, yeah, a little right. bit, it's a little bit like, uh, whose line is it anyway? The points don't <laughs> sure. matter. Right. Um, but what we do know is what does matter is um, personal story mm. and sh- the sharing of stories and what they mean to us. Um, and really, I mean, when you think about it, that's kind of what the Christian tradition is all about, is the sharing mm-hmm. of stories that change hearts, right? Um, and so I think um, one of the most important things that you can do is find ways to share stories um, of trans folks themselves and of people have had a change of heart about this. Mm. Um, both. Both of those things are important. So mm. I think one of the things that pastors can do is um, look to see if there's anybody in your denomination, um, uh, pretty much every denomination, um, even if you are a more congregational church that maybe doesn't have a huge amount of like denominational oversight, um, every denomination pretty much has a LGBT advocacy group mm. um, that you can go to and say, hey, are there any trans folks in our denomination um, who would be willing to to share their stories in some way, hmm. um, or have already shared their stories and we can connect with them in some way. Uh, because I think people respond more strongly to people coming from their own particular uh, Christian tradition. Um, so it's it's easier, I think, sometimes to come in from that perspective.
0: Hmm.
1: So that's one thing, um, is getting connected with your denominational advocacy group. Hmm. Um, so that's one way in. Uh, another way in is to, um, to highlight the stories of if you're not quite ready uh, if your congregation is not quite ready to listen to trans folks themselves which I know some congregations aren't quite there yet um, even though that would be ideal. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, Listening to the stories of um, cisgender folks um, Mm -hmm. who have changed sort of their hearts and minds about this Uh, one of the things that I saw recently that was so meaningful to me was reading um, Sarah Besky's post that she wrote um, about a month ago or maybe it was two months ago Um, Sarah Besky oh I do remember really wonderful books yeah uh, including Jesus Feminist and she wrote this this blog post where she said this is why Um, uh, not just this is why, but this is how I became LGBT affirming. Mm -hmm. Um, And it ended with her uh, and her family having to leave their church, which is really terrible. But the the way that she outlined how that change happened for her was so Mm -hmm. powerful. Because I think so many of us, we have this fear about people sort of poking holes in our arguments about everything. And so we just present the sort of final results of, our, of our survey, instead yeah. of, you know, we just kind of say, well, I am now, instead mm-hmm. of, here's how I got here. Um, and I think lining up, here's how I got here, is what is so important for people because that gives them a road, right? That mm-hmm. gives them so, a path to follow rather than just saying, get on my level. You're saying, here's how I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important um, for people to be able to share. So sharing your own story, making that personal for you. Um, and I know that's that's a big ask a lot of times to say, You know, come forward and share why your mind or your heart has been changed on this issue. But that's really, you know, being vulnerable with our stories is kind of the only way that changes is happening.
0: Hmm. And I love the idea too of bringing people in. Like I used to pastor a church, so I would, I imagine myself like back in that setting trying to address this this topic. And I think a lot of times what pastors do, and I I know that I was guilty of this back then, is when you have a topic to address. Uh, you're the one to talk about it uh, because mm-hmm. you think that everybody who's sitting in the pews wants to hear from you, but I think it's so mm-hmm. much more powerful to bring in other voices like if you're going to have mm-hmm. a a panel, so to speak about this about this topic instead of just you covering it all yourself, bring in voices like bring in somebody who's experienced a change of a change of heart. you know this is mm-hmm. what happened in my life to make me experience this change this is where i'm at you know bring in somebody who can speak a transgender person who can speak to this from a from a perspective only they can speak to it from whereas you might not be able to, so I think that's really really powerful
1: yeah it's true, and there are ways to do that even when you are because I always want us to be careful of like asking people to come into our congregations to sort of to share their story. When they might, when it might not be a safe place for them, yeah, right? So we have sure. to be careful of that, of saying like, "Sure, come to our church," and then put them in a situation where they're just going to be harangued, right? Yeah, so like, right. we have to be careful <laughs> about that. So one of the things that is, can be really helpful is doing book studies, right, on on mm. books uh, written by trans Christians to read stories without putting that particular person in a situation that might not be safe for them. Mm. Um, so that you know, there are some really wonderful books around um, uh, issues of orientation and sexuality. There's um, Uh, changing our mind by David Gushy and then um, Ken Wilson's letter to my congregation, which are both written by straight cis guys about their change of heart and their change of experience. Um, But those are both around issues of sexuality and orientation and not around issues of gender. Right. Mm. And so we're still, I think maybe that's, you know, an opening for, for the future, but we're still looking for good books from folks who have written about changing their mind around, um, uh, trans inclusion. So mm. that's not something that we have quite yet, but I think in, in lieu of that, you can bring in stories from um, trans Christians that are, you know, written down or in video form. And that could be one way of doing it too.
0: Hmm. So I got one last question for you. Uh, we have some, we have a group of of people I know who are transgender, who listen to, to the show. And I had mentioned that you were going to be coming onto the, the podcast to talk with me. And I was wondering if you had maybe just a, a word of encouragement, for them i know that some of them are struggling um kind of what to do with themselves in terms of church uh, because some mm-hmm. of them have been um shamed they've been hurt they've been outcast uh what would you say to those people if they were here talking with us today just a, a word for them
1: mm. i think um one of the things that we talk about a lot i mean uh, two i would say two things uh mm. the first one being There are so many other trans Christians out here that are kind of working through this stuff as well. Um, And so you're not alone in this. Mm. And if you want to get connected um, with the groups that I run, I would be more than happy to help you to have you in our group. Um, Mm. uh, And so, you know, you can always get connected um, with us. One of the ways we do our trans Christian support group twice a month, and you can go to bit.ly slash trans Christian support and then sign up for that. So we'd be, happy to have you there. Mm. Um, And you can always email me. So the first thing is make sure you reach out because there are plenty of folks out here that are are doing this work alongside you, even if you don't know them yet. Mm. Um, The second thing I would say is that in our groups, um, one of the things that we talk about is the sort of um, almost change of worldview that happens when you realize that people are not loved in spite of who they are, but because of who they are. Mm. Um, and that is true for all people, but I think it's something that needs to be specifically um uh, a a reminder needs to be given specifically to LGBTQ plus folks that Mm. you are not loved in spite of who you are, but because of who you are, Mm. you don't have to leave parts of yourself outside the door. You don't have to cut parts of yourself off. You can be whole and you are loved because of who you are. Mm. Um, and I think that change, um, of, of uh, just sort of a flip flop of of our understanding is such a huge thing, and it's not something that's easy to grasp. I don't mm-hmm. think because I think a lot of us feel like, oh, that's too good to be true, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. But I think it's something that um is true, and and once you um can hold on to that, it really changes a lot about how you um interact with the world and how you. Um understand God and God's love for you. So I think remembering that that you are loved because of who you are, not in spite of who you are, is a really important thing
0: to hold. That's beautiful. And I guess to tack onto that would be like maybe a part two to the question would be what 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 words would you have for someone who someone like myself, for instance, who you know, came out of this very conservative world, um now find their heart being, Uh, really transformed by this whole topic and uh, finding myself to be much more passionate about making LGBTQ people feel more welcome in the church. Uh, But like I said, my brain hasn't necessarily caught up in terms of how to talk about all these things. What are some words for of encouragement for people like myself who are trying to be an advocate, trying to learn more, trying to grow, uh, but sometimes admittingly falling flat on our face and getting it wrong in terms of the (laughs) conversation and the language and things like that? Sure. I mean, that's, I think that's something that
1: people are experiencing in, um, well, just sort of in our culture as a whole right now, everybody is very afraid to make mistakes because yeah. we kind of have felt, you know, everybody's gotten dogpiled on for something. And so yeah. it's totally relatable to, to feel like, oh no, I don't know if I'm going to say the right things. And I think our reaction to that or our response to that is often, if I don't know how to say or do the right things that I'm just not going to do or say anything, yes, right? Because you right. just don't want to I don't look like trouble. an idiot. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so like, that's totally understandable and relatable, but I think the two things that you can do, um, I, I mean, I would encourage folks to to try stuff, anyways, and to yeah. try to to try anyway. That's important, but also even if you don't feel comfortable saying or doing something right now, you can still read and you can still listen. Yeah. Um, and those are two, you know, just taking in information is so important. Um, uh, so read and listen to the stories of trans folks and and what they're experiencing, read and listen to the, you know, conversations around how language is changing in the LGBT community right now and how things are, you know, it, it sometimes feels overwhelming. Like, Oh, I don't know all these new words, but like, mm just sitting and listening and just reading um is so 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 important so you can always take things in even if you're not quite ready to do or say something yet Mm. and then at some point um we all have to make that leap where we go you know what this is important enough to make a mistake over (laughs) and so you will find that thing for you it's going to be different for everybody (laughs) but there will be a a time where you'll go you know what this is important enough i've got to try anyway
0: yeah that's good i think too one of the things i found helpful is i have a, a friend i work at apple And so Mm -hmm. it's a super diverse place. And I've worked for Apple for nine years and somebody in my old store, uh, back in New Jersey, uh, they're transgender. And so Mm -hmm. the other day I wrote a, I wrote a blog post after I read something in your book It was actually about the land and the sea and the marsh type Mm -hmm. that thing. And, uh, I wrote it and I sent, I say, I texted him and I was like, can you, can you look at this for me? Just let me know what you think. And he wrote back, he's like, this is really good, except for this part. Like, you can't say that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's just, and I said, he's like, no judgment at all. But this just doesn't come off exactly the right way. So I'm like, okay, perfect. Uh-huh. So I tweaked it. But I think it's important to let let those voices into your life as well. Absolutely. Uh, correct you Absolutely. and give you feedback and things like that.
1: Right. It's It's so much better when you have people in your life that you trust to to like talk to you about this stuff and and, like give you the update on what you need to say or what not to say (laughs) and not like have the whole world do it for you. It's so much easier when you have just one or two people that you really trust. So like, you know, finding
0: those relationships is important. That's perfect. Well, Austin, we're just about out of time. Uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, This was fantastic. And I'd love to uh, talk to you again sometime.
1: Yeah, this was great. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.